it then. Um, and Eric is going to come and read from Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verses 11 to 26, and that starts on page 1004 in the Black Bibles. Oh, wait, never mind. 1005. Um, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then, or, and they had then a notorious, or notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, um, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Thanks, Eric. Well, uh, I wonder if anyone else has the problem that I have when we come to this passage. And the problem I have is that I'm naturally on Barabbas' side. Does anyone else find that? Uh, I'm on the side of the underdog. Uh, I've never seen a film in which someone who's facing the death penalty was actually guilty. I, I think that Barabbas must be a kind of Robin Hood figure. Maybe he's a rough diamond, a kind of cheeky chappy. Maybe he had an unhappy childhood, which explains how he fell in with the wrong crowd. Maybe he's the victim here. The only problem is that the passage really doesn't support that. None of the gospel writers uh, encourage us to think that way about Barabbas. Uh, Mark tells us that he had committed murder during the insurrection. Uh, Matthew tells us in verse 16 that uh, Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. Uh, that word uh, that's translated notorious, um, it, it means when it's used positively, it means outstanding. So in Romans 16, uh, Junior is outstanding among the apostles. And even in the dregs of a Roman jail, Barabbas is an outstanding prisoner. He stands out. Maybe if we looked around prisons around the world today, uh, who would be the prisoners who really stand out? Maybe it's Anders Breivik 
in the dock in Norway for uh, what he did last July when he set off a car bomb and then drove to an island and uh, killed uh, 77 people in total that day, most of them teenagers. Maybe he's more like Ratko Mladic on trial in The Hague at the moment, who in 1995 uh, oversaw the massacre of 7,000 men and boys in Srebrenica and uh, the sniping of civilians in Sarajevo. Barabbas had it coming to him. He's not a nice guy at heart. He's not the victim here. And as we think through the story, I wonder if it would help us to think it through in terms of um, sliding doors. I don't know how many of us have seen that film. Uh, It's not the most wholesome of films, but it's a fascinating concept. So a, a woman's running for a train, and something that's totally out of her control, a tiny little thing, someone gets in her way, and uh, the film follows what happens if she makes the train, and what happens if she doesn't. We get two parallel stories. Well, let's have a go at doing that with Barabbas. Let's go back the night before to Gethsemane, and Jesus is in the garden, and let's imagine he changes his mind, if we can do this reverently, uh, that um, Jesus says, okay, guys, uh, to the disciples, We're not going to go through with it. It's not the right time. Um, Let's go back to Galilee. We'll we'll lay low for a bit. We'll take things quiet. Jesus was good at slipping out through a crowd. There's a sense in which that's totally plausible, isn't it? He avoids the mob. And uh, Barabbas is in his cell. It's uh, the next morning. It's Friday. It's the 15th day of Nisan, 33 AD. And um, he's desperately wishing, as he looks out through the bars of his prison cell, that the sun wouldn't come up. But it does. Uh, He can't do anything to hold it back. And uh, the guards come in at the appointed hour. They uh, strip him naked. They take him outside. And they tie him up and they scourge him. Uh, That's uh, uh, what um, happens in verse 26 to Jesus. He's scourged. Uh, And that means that the the guards would have taken a two-handled whip with bits of bone and metal tied into it, which was designed to tenderize the victim's back like like a piece of meat. And it was horrible. It was... Not uncommon for someone to die at that stage, but let's say Barabbas doesn't get lucky. He doesn't die at that stage. He's dragged out through an angry crowd. Uh, maybe out the corner of his eye, he can see his mother uh, crying on his brother's shoulder in grief and shame. And this, this crowd was allowed to do pretty much whatever it wanted to him. He was taken up the hill to a place called Golgotha, and there he would have been crucified with uh, nails through his wrists and his ankles and slowly uh, suffocating to, to death. That's how crucifixion works. You, can, you, you can't really take a breath in that position when you're too exhausted to, to haul yourself back up. Uh, well, Barabbas would at that point have suffocated. And I wonder if in all that physical agony, the worst thing uh, about it would have been going through Barabbas's mind. You know, there's a sense in which I deserve this. I'm, uh, I don't know how self-aware Barabbas was, but maybe the faces of his victims were playing across his mind. I, I don't know. It's all hypothetical, isn't it? But it is terrible. Uh, it's, um, we wish it was worked out differently, but there's a sense, isn't there, in which it, it wouldn't have been entirely unfair. There was a kind of cause and effect built into this. Barabbas had it coming to him. He's not an innocent victim. And yet, and yet, isn't there a sense in which we wish it could be different? Um, I was uh, talking about this passage with my wife, uh, Nikki, and with Steve earlier in the week, and I was calling Barabbas scum. And they both independently said to me, no, no, you can't call Barabbas scum. 
He's made in the image of God. He matters. He's a person. He's evil, but he's not pure evil. Uh, That that image of God is defaced, but it's not entirely eradicated. I I think of my friend Dave. I'm going to call him Dave in Dagenham. Uh, He started coming to church after he'd been let out of prison on a suspended sentence. He had an electronic tag on. We we met up to read the Bible a few times because he was looking into Christian things. And that had to stop when um, he, uh, he... broke a 17-year-old's jaw uh, in, a, in an argument. He, uh, and I remember being in court, seeing him sentenced. I knew there was no other way. The judge had to send him uh, back to prison. Uh, there wasn't an option, really. And yet I wished there could be some way uh, in which Dave could have had a second chance. Don't we wish that for Barabbas, that he could begin again, that things could be different? Well, let's uh, do the sliding doors again a different way. Uh, Let's do it the way it actually happens in the passage. Uh, So this time Jesus stays in the garden as the mob comes towards him. Uh, His disciples start panicking, but as Judas comes and kisses him, Jesus remains entirely calm. He's dragged away in front of the religious authorities. There's a show trial. Jesus is condemned. And yet it's not a done deal because the authorities, religious authorities, didn't have the power to put someone to death. They have to go to Pilate and ask his permission. Um, verses 15 to 17. Ha- have a look at them. Uh, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And Pilate's no fool. He knows, verse 18, it's out of envy that Jesus has been delivered to him. He doesn't want to get caught up in what's effectively judicial murder. And so verse 17, he says, uh, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Brilliant idea, isn't it? It's worthy of the X Factor generation. He's going to crowdsource justice. And so he puts it out to public votes. The phone line's open. And we can imagine the disciples' relief if they'd been standing at the back of the crowd listening in. Uh, This is the crowd that Jesus had fed and had taught and had healed. And they'd be thinking, wow, we're going to get away with it. Jesus is going to be set free because the crowd, of course the crowd, is going to choose Jesus. And yet, verse 20... Uh, the chief priests and the elders had persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. So verse 21, when the governor says, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Uh, the shout comes back, who do you think? We want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And Pilate says, uh, verse 22, then what shall I do with Jesus? He's called Christ. I can only release one of these guys to you. And they all said, let him be crucified. And Pilate's going, Why? What's he done? What evil has he committed? And the shout gets louder and louder. It's like a particularly evil school playground as the chant gets whipped up. Kill him, kill him, kill him. And Pilate, well, verse 24, he literally washes his hands of the matter. He signs off on Jesus' death warrant. And uh, Barabbas, Barabbas is free. But Jesus is going to die. And I guess at that moment, there would have been chaos, wouldn't there? Uh, we can imagine the wail of the, the families of the victims of Barabbas's, uh, of Barabbas's victims uh, in front of the press saying, this, uh, we came here for, for closure today. We came here for justice. Nothing can bring our kids back, but this is not justice. And we can imagine all the more the disciples and their world spinning. Uh, you know that feeling when, when things don't work out the way we'd hoped? We're, I don't know, maybe your class of degree was two classes lower than you'd hoped, or you got knocked out the tournament, or a relationship you'd invested so much in just suddenly 
falls apart. That sense that, that there's, no, 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 it can't end like this. No, no, there's been a mistake. This isn't fair. This isn't right. No, no, someone's got to do something about this. And yet, it's all been done and dusted. And as um, uh, the disciples are sitting there spinning, I guess they, they hardly even heard the Pharisees and the chief priests high-five each other with uh, excitement as they get what they want. And if uh, the world of the disciples is spinning well, Barabbas's must have been spinning twice as fast, mustn't it? Can we imagine uh, that sense as he walked out of the stench of the prison and his chains are, are knocked off him and he breathes in clean air and he feels the grass under his feet. What kind of emotions would be going through you? Well, half an hour ago, I was facing certain death in the most horrible way imaginable. I've been past all the appeals. And now, well, a couple of hours' time, I'm going to be sitting at mum's kitchen table. She'll cook me my favorite food. What an amazing, amazing feeling. Whatever terrible crimes Barabbas had committed, he'd just been given a very, very public pardon by, by Pilate. And as his mates were coming up and slapping him on the back and saying, oh, well done, I wonder if Barabbas looked over his shoulder and saw another man stumbling up the hill that he was meant to be stumbling up with the crossbar that he was about to be nailed to on his back. So Barabbas gets the second chance, as we sort of hoped he would. But for that to happen, an innocent man had to die. A man who'd never done anything wrong, who'd loved people, who'd taught people, who hated hypocrisy, who cared for the needy. He went to the cross instead. And there ought to be something there that just makes us feel sick, isn't there? Something that makes us angry that makes us want to stand up and say, this is wrong. (laughs) The innocent should not die for the guilty. Can we we see how uh, the Lord gives us stories that just, in the Bible, get under our skin? Because when uh, John uh, read that verse at the start of the service, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, I hear that verse and I think, yes, 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 of course. The righteous for the unrighteous, yes, that's how it works. And I forget the scandal, the absolute scandal of the cross. Uh, in um, uh, some of the, the texts we have for the, this passage, it's, the manuscript seems to suggest that Barabbas' first name might have been Jesus. Now, we don't know. Maybe he was Barabbas uh, Ratko Mladic, uh, Anders Breivik, Barabbas. And the Quran, uh, we're told that um, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. In fact, in some traditions of Islam, uh, Judas died instead. And isn't there a sense in which that's a better story? That the guilty dies in the place of the innocent, not the innocent dying in the place of the guilty. What's going on here? How can this be, how can this be good news? How can this be, what, what does this story mean for us? Who are we in this story? And I think that's the, the question that I um, was struggling with as I was trying to think it through. Who, who am I in this story? Who do we identify with? Well, at one level, maybe we identify with the crowd. Does that make sense? We're so easily swayed. We're so easily manipulated. So we're around Christians, and we love to sing of Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. We all agree on that. And yet we get out uh, back at work, back at school, and the crowd kind of carries us along. It's not a malicious thing. We're not uh, consciously aware of it. They're not consciously aware of it. And yet uh, if there was a neutral observer seeing us, well, they'd say we were caught up in exactly the same kind of mockery of Jesus, laughing at him, uh, his good commands, what he says about integrity with money or sex or forgiveness. The way I, I thought of this, just how this plays out in, 
I was thinking how this plays out in my experience. Um, we know the phrase OMG uh, when we in text speak, oh my God. And where, where did we pick that up? We didn't kind of consciously think, oh, um, uh, yeah, I know, I'll try and trivialize God's name as best I can. And our friends aren't thinking that. If we use that phrase, we've just picked it up from the crowd, haven't we? So easily carried along. But maybe we find it easier to identify with Pilate. Maybe uh, you're here this morning as someone who's looking into Christian things, or you just feel you've got to make a big decision about Jesus. He's uh, amazing. Uh, We don't want to reject him. He's extraordinary. And yet, we're thinking, well, what would my friends say if I became a Jesus freak? What would my family think if I just took all this religious stuff a little bit too seriously? Can we see what we're doing when that happens? We're, We're trying to crowdsource our opinion of Jesus. And the crowd in this passage warns us that that is, that is not a smart thing to do. Crowds can make horrible, horrible mistakes. And we can't pass responsibility for what we uh, make uh, of Jesus. And yet, and yet there's a sense, I guess, for lots of us in which we don't really identify with the crowd or with Pilate. Uh, it might be that you're here this morning and you would say you love Jesus. He's your king, he's your lord, he's your friend. Why is that? Why do you love Jesus? Well, can I suggest, if that's you, it's because in this story, you are Barabbas. Uh, That afternoon, as the sky went dark, as Barabbas looked up to that cross on the horizon, I wonder if it just went through his mind. Jesus is on that cross, dying in my place. He's where I'm meant to be. I'm alive because Jesus died for me. I wonder if he'd known that Jesus had chosen to die for him, whether that would have moved him to love Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, aren't you in exactly the same position as Barabbas? You know you're guilty before God. Uh, Our Bibles tell us we're guilty before God. Our consciences tell us we're guilty before God. And we deserve not just the cross. We deserve the place that the Lord Jesus called hell. Uh, He knew we deserved it, and yet he chose to go through that on the cross for us. We trivialize hell, don't we? We we use that phrase. We say, uh, oh, he's been through hell when um, someone's had horrible relationship problems or life-threatening illness or something terrible has happened. And those are terrible things, but to talk about that as hell... That is to trivialize hell beyond all imagining. In my saner moments, I know that it would be better to go through what Barabbas was meant to go through on the cross than to go through hell for eternity. And Jesus chose to go through that in my place. Isn't that why all four Gospels make such a big deal about Barabbas? It's because his experience is my experience. And I need to take this and tattoo this truth on my brain uh, that, that I deserve nothing from God but awful punishment. But Jesus loved me and he died in my place. I've received a pardon from the King of Kings uh, because the King of Kings has died as if he was a murderer like Barabbas, as if he was an adulterer like King David, as if he was a cheat like Jacob, as if, as if he was a self-righteous hypocritical, arrogant, selfish failure like me. Uh, And isn't it weak? Isn't there something a bit pathetic 
about letting someone else die for you in your place. Uh, Well, that is part of being a Christian, is standing up and saying, I'm not man enough to take this punishment myself when I know there's another way. When Jesus has chosen uh, to die in my place, I'm not going to throw that back at him into his face. Uh, And there is something wonderful about that, isn't there? Just imagine what it must have felt like to be Barabbas, that relief, that sense of freedom. Wouldn't it be wonderful? If you're a forgiven Christian here this morning, can't you feel that relief yourself? Well, I think uh, that leaves us with two big objections. There are two big problems with that that immediately came to my mind. Uh, One I've called the moral problem. I've put down on the, the handout as the moral problem. And it comes from Proverbs 17, verse 15. And it says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Isn't that what happened on the cross? Isn't the cross an abomination on the Bible's own terms? It doesn't work because Jesus, the righteous, uh, was um, condemned. And uh, the, the, uh, the wicked, me, you, Barabbas, well, we were justified. Um, is that what's going on? Well, not quite. Uh, let's think about it like this. Let's imagine I go around to Steve's house this afternoon and uh, he's just left the keys to his Ferrari Enzo lying on the table and I just swipe them and I borrow his car, take it for a bit of a a joyride and it it all goes a bit wrong, powering around a corner and I wrap it around a tree. Uh, Well, um, uh, imagine at that point Steve says, you know, it's okay, it's okay, Simon. Um, I forgive you. Uh, I'll make John pay for it. Uh, That is not just, is it? We can't just punish an innocent third party. Uh, for something that that I've done. But what Steve can do is to say, it's okay, Simon, I forgive you, I'll pay for it myself. Uh, And that is is what, the the claim is that that is what's going on at the cross. We we can't punish an innocent third party, but the the offended party can take the the hit themselves. Uh, So um, in the Bible, all sin ultimately is sin against God. And the Bible's claim is that Jesus is God himself, walking around on earth in time and space and history. And he doesn't die as an innocent third party. He certainly doesn't die as the guilty party. He dies as the offended party. That's quite, that's quite a lot in quite a short space of time. Does it make sense? Is there a kind of logic to it? There's sort of a logic there, isn't there? And yet... There's also a sense in which it makes no sense at all, isn't it? We're used to the idea of of religions having a scapegoat. But who ever heard of a religion where the God himself became the scapegoat? That is a a mind-blowing truth, isn't it? It is literally shocking. When you're out in the countryside and we we put our hand on an electric fence, we didn't realize it was electrified. Oh, your hand, you're, you're shocked. Well, shouldn't this passage do the same thing to us as we think about what an extraordinary thing it is that my God would die for me? Isn't that amazing? Uh, we say in the creed so glibly, don't we often, uh, that Jesus Christ, we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, that is either barking mad or it is the great defining reality of life. So that is the moral problem. Um, And then uh, the final uh, heading I've got down, the psychological problem, the existential problem. Isn't there something a bit unhealthy about all this? 
Isn't there something a bit unhealthy about going through life saying, oh, I'm so worthless, I'm so bad, Uh, I'm such a terrible sinner, it's great that Jesus died for me, but aren't I such a terrible person? Well, it's not, uh, let's let's get one thing right, it's not totally, or it's not not wrong at all to say that uh, we are unworthy. If we're Christians here this morning, there was nothing in us that that could have uh, made Jesus, uh, made me deserve uh, Jesus to die for me. There was nothing in Barabbas that meant he deserved Jesus' forgiveness. There's nothing in uh, me or you to, to work the same thing. But being unworthy is not the same thing as being worthless. Um, let, let's think of it like this. Imagine, imagine that uh, a, a group of bandits kidnapped you on the way home from church this afternoon. Sorry, it's a bit of a gloomy illustration. But what would you be worth when they bring through the ransom note? What would the people who love you be willing to pay for you? Uh, would you be literally worthless? Oh, I doubt it very much. Would you be worth a grand? We could probably get that easily. What about uh, 10 grand, 100 grand? You know, imagine, imagine we really love you, and everyone who loves you uh, takes out a second mortgage on their home. We hold uh, all the coffee mornings we can think of, and we raise, what, a million, two million? Is that what you're worth? I don't know. I don't know what you're worth to your friends and family. I do know uh, what you're worth to God. Because if your seat in God's eternal kingdom had a price tag on it, it would say, this place can only be bought with the infinitely precious blood of the Lord Jesus himself. That is how valuable you are to God, that he would die so that you can be there in his kingdom at that infinite cost. That's why we can't buy our way in there by trying to be a good person. It's why we can't buy our way in by trying to do bargains with God. Jesus has to pay for that seat. I read this line in a poem the other day. What is man, O Lord, that thou hast overbought so much a thing of naught? If it was anyone other than God, wouldn't we say they'd been ripped off in paying that much for us? And yet, the cross, both at the same time, proves that we are as undeserving as Barabbas. And it proves that we are loved with an infinite love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, want to come before you and praise you and uh, say that we love you. We are so grateful uh, that uh, you died as the innocent one in the place of the guilty. We thank you uh, as Barabbas, uh, people like Barabbas, that uh, the message of uh, the gospel is that the guilty and uh, the innocent dies for the guilty and, and not the other way around. We um, thank you very, very much for how deeply you love us, that you would do that uh, for your followers. We praise you that you have died so that anyone can uh, put their trust in you and be right with you forever. We praise you for your goodness and the depth of your mercy and your compassion and not treating us as we deserve. Thank you in your mighty name. Amen.